2: on guys welcome to another episode of bro history it's uh henry zamoda and we have danny abdeljabar it kind of looks like from here you have been maintaining your beard a little bit more than usual have you or am i am i just making that up
0: yeah no i have been straightening it you know it's just something that i like to to do when i'm bored just straighten it Straighten it. (laughs) yeah i've got a comb and everything
2: do you use special beard shampoo? Uh,
0: no, but I have special beard wax and oils. Oh,
2: <laughs> oh, it seems like too much maintenance. See where I'm at Not right really. now. I haven't mm-hmm. shaved in about five to six days, and I'm at to the point where my face I start scratching like I'm Tyrone Biggins. <laughs> so I need I need to shave probably tonight before I go to bed. Like this All is right. how this is only I can grow the beard. I just can't handle the inconvenience and how you can't handle the beard. beard you can't <laughs> handle it you may you you may it's one thing to grow beard but you gotta handle that motherfucker right <laughs> i can't i can't do it my face is too sensitive Um uh, but it's looking good next episode you should come out with like full a full-flung Johnny uh, johnny depp pirates of the caribbean type of like braids in your beard
0: I can do it. Uh, And I also have, I've been, I've been, I've been, uh, Captain Jack Sparrow for Halloween once. So, uh, if you remember, actually, you probably wouldn't remember that. That was before we met, but yeah, I can probably do that. Should I do one of the podcasts? Just like do random live stream in in one of the random ridiculous costumes that I do.
2: Yeah. I'll dress up like Tarzan. I still have a costume. I still have my (laughs) my Tarzan costume. You know what everyone should do? uh you know, for these face masks. So when you go outside, instead of wearing, like, the, the surgeon mask... or Just wear scarf, a Halloween mask? Just wear a Halloween mask. <laughs> that counts, so if right? You're, that, yeah, <laughs> that counts. It covers your face. So whenever you... If you walk outside and you run to the grocery store, everyone's like, you know, there's a Freddy Krueger, there's a werewolf, there's a vampire. There's <laughs> I love like this pinhead, idea. There's a yeah. pinhead. There's a... You know, some Resident Evil character. Um, <laughs> there's zombies. And then when aliens look down on Earth and they're like, you know, when because recently there have been UFO sightings, right? Yep, that's true. A lot when of they're, them when actually, they're yeah. When they're monitoring us, they'll be like, oh, look, it's a planet full of monsters. I guess we won't invade.
0: <laughs> well, depending on, there, the like. depending on what the aliens look like. There's Dracula. Depending on what the aliens look like. They they might
2: already think we look like monsters. So specimens is probably the correct term.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
2: But um, yeah, let's let's get started. Um, thanks for for anyone who's joining us right now. Uh, we're doing this podcast live. It's Thursday <clears> right <throat> now. It's Thursday night, so we usually do these on Wednesdays. But uh, we we both got held up, and, and we, we, honestly, we didn't really have too much time to catch up on the news, but. The first thing I wanted to bring up before we, you know, jumped into some of the main topics, is uh, just some like, you know, some updates on things in the Middle East that we've been talking about. Um, I don't know if you saw today, but Lebanon Lebanon's economy crashed today. Yeah, you were telling me about that earlier. So I guess you know the the Ponzi scheme that pegged the the Lebanese pound to the U.S. dollar has has finally fallen apart. Hmm. And the government, they came out with their economic data, and uh, their GDP, I think, decreased by 6.9% in the last year, and then they expect it to decrease this year by 13.8%. Wow. And 48% of the people who live in Lebanon are underneath the poverty line, the Lebanese poverty line. And you know what's funny? These There is protest all year, or all of last year, the end of last year, there was these raging protests and they were peaceful protests. They weren't riots where people were killing each other. However, it was, this is something that was going on. Like, did you see any of those videos where these protests would be like a bunch of people dancing and like twerking? Yeah. In totally. Lebanon? Yeah. They seemed kind of fun. But, yeah. Uh, now everyone, I guess, has not fun to anymore. <laughs> go back indoors for, go back indoors for coronavirus, And now we're, uh, now since things are a little bit like the lockdown is uh less restrictive people are going out to protest again Hmm. but i guess essentially what happened is that um well what's going to happen is that they're going to have to they're going to be forced to take an imf loan and their pound fell from a dollar fifty per u.s to now it below four dollars whoa so Essentially, if you had money in a Lebanese bank, you probably lost all of your money.
0: If you're listening to this show and you had money in a Lebanese bank...
2: <laughs> well, I, something that's interesting about Lebanon is that Le- Lebanon has a really big diaspora.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: Because of the Lebanese Civil War in the 80s. And there's a, there's a lot of people who have money... Like Lebanese people who are either in Canada or America or Europe, who who have their money in Lebanese banks, so it's going to hit those those people. But yeah, it's just—I mean, this is something that's been escalated because of COVID nineteen. But they were having economic problems prior to this. But I just found—I found it interesting. If you guys are interested, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in like the Federal Reserve who listen to this podcast. I would—I would. do researching on that because a lot of it has to do with their their federal their federal banking system, right? That they have in place. But another interesting thing that happened, this happened in that area, is that in Iraq, um, they chose their new prime minister today.
0: Yep, heard that too.
2: So, what was the guy's name again? So, Mustafa Al Kadhimi. Mm -hmm. who is i guess he's kind of a technocrat where you know he comes he's a skilled he has a skilled background i honestly don't know that much about him however what was interesting to me is that i saw two supporting tweets and you wouldn't two people support this guy and one is mike pompeo and then the other comes from iran so it seems that He's in fate. I mean, the US and Iran Iran actually backed this guy, which is nothing new mm-hmm. given the last, you know, twenty years of Middle Eastern history where of the US and Iran supporting the same people in Iraq only to fight and be and, and antagonize each other everywhere else in the world. But I guess things have changed since Trump has become president because now Iran is, you know, officially an enemy in I in Iraq. But what what's interesting is that this guy is going to have a really tough job. Like, that's got to be the worst prime minister job yeah. in the world right now. Yep. Like, that's the last job that you'd ever you'd ever want to take. Like, you're going, you're becoming the new prime minister. Um, you just had, you, you have social disorder, clear social disorder. Right. Um, you have two, you have a regional power along with a superpower, both inserted into your country who hate each other. Right. And you have to balance out those relationships. Your main sur- source of revenue is has declined. Dramatically. Because of low oil, pro- <laughs> of low oil prices. Right. And most likely, they're going to have to take an eye that. Like all these Middle Eastern countries that have always tried to, you know, these countries that are either exporters of minerals or oil, um, you know, besides Saudi Arabia, they're going to be forced to take more IMF loans you know Iran made their took their first IMF loan um ever even though they didn't need it in decades and decades according decades, to them. even though they essentially did not need it according but to that. when you take <laughs> when you take a if Iraq takes an INF another IMF loan I believe this would be their I think I, I think this would be their first one that would come with conditions from the U.S. and those conditions are going to be anti-Iranian conditions of course yeah but on the flip side, um, you know, if the U.S. wants Iraq to take a position against, you know, Iran and the Iraqi militias that Iran sponsors, um, they're going to end up. The new prime minister, Kat he's going to end up losing support from his own his own parliament. Right. The that also depends on him, I- right. Iran for energy. Right. So he's in a quagmire of all quagmires. That is that is going to be a tough job. But apparently, he's pretty popular. And from you know the brief skimming I've done about him is that he comes, uh, uh, he's like known as somebody who gets the job done. Hmm. He's not a he's not a uh, you know a bureaucrat uh, type corrupt monster, but maybe he is. We'll maybe he'll out. become I mean, one. <laughs> maybe he is. We'll we'll find out. Or right. you know I'm sure someone listening to it would be like, are you fucking kidding me? That guy is a piece of shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean look the you brought up a good question it's like you know
0: this guy gets shit done but my question is like what is he going to do first right what thing is he going to get done first like where do you even start i mean you know obviously the the oil prices uh being on the brink of an imf loan and being like supported by two antagonistic you know powers both regionally and, and and internationally uh And then on top of that, of course, there's the coronavirus stuff, which is not over yet. And Iran has a very, very bad problem there, which they share a border with. Uh, And I guess, like, to a lesser extent, there's, like, the fallout of the civil war in Syria, you know. Um, There's still terrorism in the region. Although, I'm really curious to see, like, how – if terrorism has gone down. It's actually been going up in Iraq. It's been going
2: up in Iraq lately, yeah. Huh guess they don't care for the social distancing,
0: huh?
2: <laughs> I, from what I've been seeing, that um, there, there actually has been like a spike in, in ISIS over the past couple of uh, past couple of weeks. I wonder why that is. So, um, I couldn't tell you. Um, you know, part of me will, will say that it's because they want to, um, because he's pro. He, he has a good relationship with Iran. But, you know, there's probably more to the story. It's probably just a pretty good time to uh, to move around if you're a jihadist or if you're a jihadist militia. Yeah, well, uh, if you want to go like the... Locked up. Uh, yeah, if you want to be a, uh, you know, an Occam's razor guy, you know, this would be the time to, to move around a country uh, unprovoked a little bit or w- with a little less provocation. Yeah. But the main thing that, you know, I w- that I wanted to talk, and this kind of transitions into like the main topic of today's show is um, what happened in Saudi Arabia today where the United States, you know, we, we're, we're, we're allies with Saudi Arabia, the magic kingdom, uh, which is probably a <laughs> better, better term. And, and that's the, magic kingdom. the term that the magic kingdom has been a term that uh, has been used to describe them within the state department for decades. And they call it the magic kingdom. Um, not to be confused with the one in Orlando. This one is more (laughs) magic. So the U.S. has a bunch of weapons and high-tech anti-aircraft systems to protect oil processing facilities and oil fields in the eastern part of Saudi Arabia, where all the oil fields are. And... The reason to have them there is because well one of their processing facilities was bombed only about what four months ago at this point i'm losing track of time i I completely lost track of time so this may be some time ago six six, i think about six months ago it was um the end of last year there was an attack on a saudi a saudi oil processing facility their largest one Aramco, and right? There, there was well, Aramco, but they they that's their national oil company, right, right. But there were, you know, there were two narratives that were going on at this time. One of the one narr- narrative one was that Iran did it, and Iran did it with a cruise missile, which honestly is feasible to me. Like I still think that's probably sounds like it could have happened. The other narrative is that the houthis did it with uh with their you with know drums. remote drones right. that they flew over the saudi bur- uh, um they, f- they flew over the border and they were able to you know get behind and the the processing facility and, and blow a big ass hole in it um and i guess i guess the third narrative is that they both did it but the houthis <laughs> claimed responsibility for doing it right so you know there's that you know they did say they did do it um, there could be political reasons for that. Who knows? I think most likely they probably did it together. That's honestly kind of like how I what I what I think that I they were both involved in it. Iran I denied denied it. The Houthis said they did do it. Um, but I think they probably did it together. Now, what's interesting is that right now, I mean, there had just been an oil war uh, between the U.S. and excuse me, in Saudi Arabia and Russia, um, where Russia was uh, producing more. Saudi wanted them to produce them less. Saudi being the biggest oil producer in the world said, hey, you can't beat us at this game. And they started flooding the market. When they flooded the market, that hurt U.S. oil. Trump said stop. Then COVID-19 reached a new level, caused demand of oil to go down, then all of a sudden we have negative oil prices right. like so with that and with you know the this is really killing like the oil industry uh you know in, in texas and in louisiana you know our domestic you know fracking companies you know energy our domestic energy companies uh you know those politicians of those states they have an interest in protecting those industries and um trump said to bahama bin Salman he's like hey if you keep on pumping oil, if you if you don't cease the production of oil and start raising the prices, like usually, you know the, the big crises in our in our lifetime not in our lifetime we weren't born yet but in the '70s the the problem was that they weren't pumping enough oil right. that they were they had an embargo. Now it's, it's the opposite. Were, issue, there's right? too much. Mm-hmm. There's too much. So Trump is like, hey man, I can't. If if you guys are going to keep on pumping oil, I'm not going to be able to protect you from the politicians. Uh, the congressmen who represent these oil companies in these states—they're gonna—they're gonna go push for anti-Saudi legislation, and that's also—you have to take in mind that that's those are typically Republican states who are right. going to be more supportive of things like military interest in Saudi Arabia and mm-hmm. Israel. So doing that was kind of risky politically in the U.S. Now, Trump made the decision to remove their Patriot missile systems from Saudi Arabia, which protect those fields um, and those facilities. And, you know, to be completely honest, they're vulnerable. Like, they've they've shown to be vulnerable. The reductions apparently, though, were based on an assessment that Tehran— no is no longer a threat to U.S. interest. That's the word. That's the word on the block.
0: Really? Just like that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. They're not. They're not a threat anymore.
0: Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you know, going back to the Houthi thing, and, and we just got to worry about their proxies. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's
2: like, like go- on one hand, there's like two narratives. Like one narrative is like it. it, it Whatever whatever narrative narrative fits the you know, specific circumstance that they're in right now. You know Iran is a menace. They're they're destabilizing the Middle East. They're going to destroy the global oil supply. Um, they're striking Aramco right from Tehran. Now they're like go their for proxies, it. They work hand destroy in hand the with oil. their proxy networks and Hezbollah and the Houthis and Iran and <laughs> So on one hand, there's this threat that's causing so much terror in the Middle East. And, I mean, they definitely do have a lot of influence and do have a lot of militias that are traveling around. And I think that they're closer with the Houthis, or at least they had been closer with the Houthis more so than ever uh, previous to the war in Yemen. However, um, it's just funny that, you know, you're, you're taking these missile systems out of Saudi Arabia saying that toronto is no longer a threat to u.s interest yeah but i mean you've been spending so much time pumping this big big bad boy up where it's like you know why don't we put more patriot missile systems in there so and they've been moving troops. my question is is this is this punishment is this punishment to saudi arabia
0: for what for the oil issue
2: yeah for the oil issue for not, I mean, for not making production for not making production cuts in time to save oil, the US oil industries.
0: I mean, that seems likely. Um, but I mean like like in practice though, the Patriot missiles didn't really help Saudi Aramco facility when when it got hit by apparently the Houthis, maybe the Iranians, maybe both. You know, like those Patriot missiles didn't do shit against that. So If it is a punishment, like, how strong a punishment is it,
2: (laughs) you know? It's more, like, uh, symbolic, if anything, you know? We're taking our missile system elsewhere now.
0: Well, they really are.
2: (laughs) Well, let's talk about where these were, you know, because there's there's a pretty big, um, you know, for for people like us, you know, who try to, um, you know, recommend or endorse more responsible statecraft... Um, you know, we we like the news of, of soldiers being moved out of the Middle East. Right. However, and that's that's a trend that's been going on in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, soldiers are, are leaving the Middle East, or at the very least being shuffled around. Um, we're now closer than ever to an actual peace in Afghanistan, which is great. Now, in Saudi Arabia, though, um, I feel like this is more... Is more so a punishment, but can you now? You were doing research on this. Can you uh, dive in here and explain maybe where these are going, or you know what's the deal with these with these uh, these Patriot missile systems and, and where they may end up in the world?
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I said that to you earlier today, um, more as a joke. Uh, so specifically, these Patriot missiles aren't necessarily going anywhere. Where. Um, Uh, about things that i want to talk about later um but it's ironic to see uh that we're pulling out uh land-based missile systems from the middle east specifically saudi arabia uh when at the same time we are increasing our land-based missile systems elsewhere in the world and that's in china now specifically we're probably not we're we're definitely not moving those patriot missiles from um from Saudi Arabia to like the, the Asia Pacific. But uh we are um kinda boosting up our uh our arms here. Um so there was a, a special report in Reuters um here that um claims that the US is now basically rearming uh itself in the uh Asia Pacific theater. <laughs> um and they are doing this for a very specific reason and it's to um to basically counter the China's huge missile supremacy in the in the region um, and I've had my finger on this pulse for a little while, but um, it, it has become very, very clear uh, after reading uh, this report and others that China might have a leg up on us um, in the in the short term. How much have you heard about this?
2: You're filling me in right here. I, I've, any, I've been hearing about like the missile system movement, but I haven't heard the take that they have a leg up on us. Yeah, like, yeah, or so, do you mean a leg? Uh, do you mean a leg up on us on just like what's on the ground there? Or yep, because the because what's uh, navy-wise, like uh, I got some.
0: I got some interesting stuff on navy too. Um, but it, it's all with a grain of salt. So let, let's let's maybe well, get started.
2: Well, can you can you explain to us about just U.S. <laughs> naval supremacy in in that area over the past you know a couple of years at the very forever.
0: Least? Um, for, for, yeah, for, no, so,
2: forever, um, for our even, ever, <laughs> you know, starting starting with <laughs> yeah. the casino ship that they purchased and trans and turned it into well, a. It, a... <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so so fun. I'm jumping around a little bit here, um, but. Evidently, and, and this is true, China's got the biggest navy in the world right now, right? They might not have the most well-equipped navy, but it, they have more vessels, right? Uh, right now. And they're definitely bumping that up by a whole lot. Um, I joked a while ago when we had a kind of conversation, a podcast about uh, aircraft carriers, and I joked about you know China's carrier because what they did when they got their hands on their first carrier they didn't build one themselves they actually purchased one uh from ukraine an old like soviet style one uh and it's one of those ones with a ski jump at the top and you know the ski jump at the end is basically you know like a like an old archaic uh method to, to launch planes uh like you need a a slope to get them off the ground um so they're not very effective um but the way that they purchased it was really funny because they actually set up a shell corporation and lied to uh the ukraine and said oh you know we're we're a casino company and we're gonna transform this old you know aircraft carrier into a giant floating casino and then they got it and then they were like psych we're making this into an aircraft carrier so they started retrofitting it but because they lied uh the ukrainians aren't helping them uh you know with logistics and you know they never had an aircraft carrier before so they don't know how to fly and land and take off airplanes from an aircraft carrier. So these poor, like Chinese, you know, uh, air force, uh, pilots, they have to simultaneously figure out how to do it and write the playbook on how to do it. Uh, which is fucking dangerous. If you ever think about how, you know, just the act of, of, of landing or taking off a specifically landing, like you have to, you don't come in slow. You have to come in hot. Um, and there's an arresting gear, uh, basically like a little rope or whatever that kind of grabs the plane so that it doesn't go flying off the deck afterwards. And you're doing this on a ship that's moving through the sea, right? And sometimes wobbling about because of the waves. It's it's a very, very complex system, and I, you know, I'm sure China would never admit to, like, crashing planes testing this out, but I can imagine that they fucked it up a few times before they figured it out, if they figured it out. Um... Anyway, so they've been building up their their navy for sure, you know, and they're really trying to press their their strength, especially in the uh uh in the southeast. Um, what do they call that? The the fucking East China Sea, South South China Sea. Help me out here. It's the South China, China sea. sea. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're right. Um, but really, where their power is 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 just kind of scary right now is with their um, intermediate. And short, medium-range, land-based missile launchers. So they have thousands of them, um, lots and lots and lots of them. And you know, wh- why is this a problem for us? Well, because their range allows them to strike. You know, our our navy. Uh, it doesn't allow them to strike our mainland, but our super carriers, things like that. You know, our carrier groups, any naval vessel. You know that comes anywhere close to their mainland is in striking range of these, and they've been setting up these fake ass islands in the South China Sea to like basically claim you know uh, sovereignty over them, and they just put missile launchers on them all over the place, like ground based missile missile launchers, and that effectively gives them some some strength in the region because you know it used to be prior when you know China or North Korea or you know anyone in the region was acting up, we just sent a super carrier group over there and they shut up because. You know who wants a squadron of like you know uh f-35s over their country <laughs> you know like that's scary as shit um so the ground-based missile launchers like these are are this is kind of a big struggle that we're having right now um because previously we've been in the intermediate range nuclear forces treaty or the inf right and what and, and this was between the United States and Russia, like post-Cold War, well, during Cold War, really. And it was a way to basically ban Russia and the U.S. from creating land and using land-based missiles, cruise missiles and missile launchers uh, that had a range of 500 to 1,000 kilometers, which is 300 to 600 miles, or short, medium-range ones, which have a range of 1,000 to 5,500 miles uh, kilometers, which is 600 to 3, 3, 3,400 miles. Um, And that's important because what they were trying to set up was a situation where, you know, the U S wasn't creating a short range missile that they, or a medium range missile that they can set up in say Germany or like the Eastern States that we, um, you know, like Ukraine or something like that and do land-based nuclear strikes. And same thing for Russia, right? They didn't want Russia setting up, um, you know, short range or medium range, Missile systems and hit parts of uh, Eastern Europe or even Western Europe, for that matter. Um, and so, this this treaty that we were in for a while uh, basically prevented us from creating and developing and, and deploying these systems. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that we always had them in the first place. We always kept it super hush hush. But um, kind of recently, uh, Trump uh, in 2018, in October 2018, he decided to withdraw the U.S. from the treaty. And the, the reason why was because he said that the Russians weren't complying. He's probably right about that, but also it's a weak answer. And when it happened, I remember covering this and talking about it, and I was feeling pretty upset about it because I was like, why are we now just going to go ahead and increase our arms race? Like, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Um, but reading this again from the context of China, it's starting to make more sense. I still don't like it, but it's starting to make more sense because China— wasn't in the INF, right? They weren't in this treaty. They were allowed to build as many fucking missiles as they wanted to, medium, short, long, doesn't matter, they can make them because they weren't in this treaty. And so in that time, they've been able to amass a massive amount of these missile launchers. And, you know, we talked a little bit uh, when we were talking about like uh, 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 aircraft carriers and strike groups and things like that, that, you know, a missile launcher with a... 800 mile range could hit a, you know, a cruise, um, uh, carrier strike group. That's like way offshore. And because they can do that, it forces that carrier strike group to stay farther and farther away from the Chinese mainland. Um, so that they're not in danger, right? The problem there is it kind of makes an aircraft carrier obsolete because the airplanes that are on the aircraft carrier don't have enough range to fly a thousand miles in both directions
1: to, you know,
2: On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: So it, it kind of like renders our, our power there kind of not useless, but it definitely threatens it. Um, and so we're trying to build up all these missiles, and it's really threatening our uh, the United States like grip on the region in terms of like military power, especially in, in disputes of the South China Sea. Um, and you know, since pretty much August 2019, we we formally withdrew from that, and off to the races. Like we're we're at it. Um, so apparently, <clears throat> the Pentagon wants to arm Marines with versions of the Tomahawk cruise missile, which is normally launched from U.S. warships. Uh, but they're putting it on, like, land-based uh, um, um, launchers. And <clears throat> we're also developing a bunch of, like, long-range anti-ship missiles, both for air and sea. Um, and uh, basically, we're, we're trying to take the tactics that China has been doing and turn it on their head, um, which is basically set up a bunch of fucking missiles in the region, so that we can suppress their admittedly massive, not very well-equipped
2: navy. What are your thoughts on that? So, I guess my question is, are like, all right. So, l- let me just um, make sure that I'm following you right now. So, sure. This is this treaty that Trump left is the this the Obama treaty from 2010. With, with the U.S. and Russia, the INF treaty. Yeah, the, are, we, are we talking about that. the start, the new start treaty?
0: No, 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 no. The, the INF treaty <clears throat> started in 1987, in December 1987, and it was signed okay. by, I th- by I thought by you by were like Reagan and, to and, that, and Gorbachev
2: to the start to uh, the treaty with Obama. No, 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 no. no, no. And, um, and <clears throat> we pulled out of that sorry, one. Too. Please, <laughs> no, we, we we did pull out of that one, but.
0: now so reagan and gorbachev signed this treaty in 87 to basically say like all right let's chill out on making intermediate range nuclear missile launchers like ground-based missiles it it conveniently did leave out like air based and naval based ones but there were just like no ground-based ones
2: so like what is in the chinese navy like what how are they ill-equipped well, like, they're explain illiqui- to me, like, what...
0: Yeah, so, and, and this is largely my opinion, but it's based on, like, information that I've been reading about, but <clears throat> they're ill-equipped because, one, they don't have nuclear-powered, um, like, vessels, right? So, you know, a big uh, uh, strength of, of our strike groups, as an example, is that, you know, they can go on largely indefinitely. Um, like, they would have to stop and get, like, supplies and shit every now and again, but um, they can go on for a very, very long time. And nuclear-powered, uh, as an example, attack submarines are quiet. They're very, very quiet as opposed to very, very noisy, you know, um, diesel-powered or diesel-electric um, Chinese subs, right? So while they might have more vessels, like more people, more more units in the sea, uh, you know, they've got frigates and destroyers and battleships and things like that. They have one aircraft carrier, which, as we just pointed out, is old and ill-equipped. And they have. I think they're building a second one right now. Um, but where they have strength a lot is in their l- literal class ships, L I T T O R A L, which is like you know um, cl- close to the shore range uh, ships. So they're, they're not like deep water ships. I mean, they could go into deep waters, but they operate in in the in the you know, in and around the shoreline to defend themselves. But by the time we get that close, you know, we're also in range of all of their um, intermediate range uh, um, missile systems. like so we're fucked, you know, We can't really get that close to their shores. Now they're ill-equipped because those the armaments on those sh- on those ships, their propulsion systems, uh, and just the technology that they have around them is just in, in open blue sea, like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, they're going to get wrecked by the United States. But close to shore, where they have cover by, from their um, from their uh, um, missile launchers, like they can do some damage and they've got a lot of ships. Does that make sense?
2: No, it makes perfect sense. So, so I like, mean, they just the the, vol, the volume is gonna do enough damage to at the very least have some regional influence and in, you know in, some regional influence in their own waters. Right, we're not
0: going to fuck with them, you know. Like in in regional waters, and 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 this is well. Especially I mean, the, whole,
2: the whole like the, uh, there's no military solution with China. Like, well, there's a bunch of flexing solutions, but there's no actual military solution between both the U.S. and China. They're both nuclear armed. They're both they both have nuclear warheads. It's not going to be a realistic I, invasion I mean, you, you or fight think between U.S. over some stupid island in the South Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, would highly doubt it. And, I mean, if there's not a military solution in Iran, there's hell there, there's, uh, there's no military solution in China. And the chances are um, if, if China wanted to declare a war in the US, they would just stop lending us money. I mean, they don't really have that much mu- that much of our debts. They really don't. They do have they do have a high percentage of our bonds of our treasury bonds. We're they can dump they, the bonds, but we. If the but if the U.S. default, let's just say if the U. Because a lot of senators are are talking, like Lindsey Graham. I heard him the other day. He was like, "The U.S. should just default on our loans to China." Oh, they. He. I think the the like a lot of these people are proposing two things: defaulting on our loans, um, on our debt to China, which would. I, I mean, I think that would would uh, would hurt the value of a dollar, right? Because less people would want to buy dollars, n- knowing that the U.S. could default on their on their debt. Like, it would just cause—it would just make it more risky in the long run. And then also, they said—they um, were talking about having individual families or individual lawsuits against China, like how we had uh, individual lawsuits against Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, nations are supposed to have immunity because—
0: From individual lawsuits, right? From,
2: from individual lawsuits, mainly because— It's impossible to have a fair court right like you can't
0: who's 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 going to preside you can't
2: sue you can't sue china um because there's going to be a bias in both in both systems like you know there can't be a chinese lawsuit against an american government because you know the chinese the, the 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 bias from the whatever government the or whatever court um It's going to be so strongly in the home nation so i mean that's why you you don't why countries have like sovereign immunity um so i I don't think those are actual solutions maybe flexing flexing nuts is something that you that we could do but i mean i don't think that the us is gonna go to also go to uh, war i think
0: on the contrary so while i don't while i agree and i think that we definitely don't have like an all-out war plan like that would never work out we wouldn't work out with iran why would it work out with china um what we do have are active plans that we're doing right now to put military pressure on china and they have similar plans against us so right now what we're doing is we're trying to we're trying to put missiles, land, ground-based launch missiles, to counter their missiles and basically do the same thing that they're doing, but in their home court, right? So right now, now that we're completely unchanged from the IMF, INF t- Treaty, we can build these missiles, we can deploy these missiles, and you know, obviously we have strong ties with Japan, uh, we have fairly strong ties with Taiwan. Um, But also we're looking to, you know, move into a lot of the archipelago islands around uh, Chinese coastal waters. So um, places like the Philippines has, uh, they're all going after those islands and shit. And so what the plan right now is to stockpile a bunch of of missiles, like in the short term. I think they're trying to buy 53 of these tomahawk missiles, ground-based tomahawk missiles, for the Marines to deploy. Apparently they're going to be like, mini ship killers, which is interesting because it's it it feels like they're taking a page out of the Millennium Challenge and saying, instead of having these large warships, we're just gonna do small amphibious assault ships and launch ship killing missiles at them, which is interesting. But if the United States goes through with its plan, basically what they're gonna do is line the coast the coastal waters uh, in, in the areas that we have um that we have like influence over with ground-based intermediate-range missiles, which would effectively combat their Navy, their large Navy, and it puts the same pressure on them as it does on us um, in terms of, like, how we can operate in those waters. Um, So it would rebalance the scales there a bit. Now, China's trying to do the same exact thing, right? So China just recently... uh, Conducted an exercise outside of Taiwan, so in the south and um, and east of Taiwan, they did major military exercises uh, with their navy, basically flexing their dick muscles there, um, showing off that like they can do whatever the fuck they want in the area and kind of. So let so let me so let
2: me, just, so let me just like uh, make sure that I'm following you, and and other other people are following you as well. Sure. The U S. The U S. and China are basically kind of scrambling for land to put weapons on. Hundred percent, and there and China has been making island. Mm -hmm. They've been building islands from scratch, just to do uh, that, Mm -hmm. just just to put weapons on them. Correct. All right, so they're in a, I guess a scramble, or I guess a scramble would be the best way to say it for what any land that they can they can take, Mm -hmm. like what or that they can
0: influence. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. So what are so what. So, what is the U.S. looking for? What is China looking for? Just anything that is uh, that they can get some type of influence, either through their you know their monetary system or you know whatever influence that a government can put on a smaller nation.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and you know one of the one of the main like first island chains that the United States is eyeing to start putting missiles is in the control or in the sphere uh, of the Philippines. Um, but we're having a little bit of trouble with that, actually, on this first phase, because uh, the president, uh, Rodrigo Duterte, um, he's basically been distancing himself from the United States policy and forming closer ties with China, um, both economically and on other points. Um, and this is pretty important because there are some strategically important, like, islands in, in the Philippines that we could be utilizing to secure shipping uh, routes, but also let's just um, to be able to, like, uh, uh, do military operations around so you know right now Duterte is like the the first big obstacle for the United States in terms of this plan to start arming the shit out of you know these islands surrounding China with <clears throat> intermediate range missiles Um, so if we can't figure that out it, it might be kind of difficult other options are it sounds uh,
2: like World War II it,
0: it does it, it honestly really does w- which it scares me a bit because you know like I understand the strategy and I understand like the United States, I wouldn't say we feel threatened by it, but we feel less powerful and they want to tip the scales back towards the United States. Um, but I think it's dangerous what they're doing because what, and I hate like siding with China on this, but the one guy, let me try and find this quote. Um, well,
2: I'll add basically yeah, like all the foreign policy realists slash war hawks like the people who consider themselves i would say a foreign policy realist who go uh-huh. by that definition um they've been all been saying like we got to get our skies out of the middle east and put them in asia right. china is the real menace right here right. it's not the it's not the arabs or the muslims it's, right. it's the chinese and the russians we need to we start need to start diverting our our um our troops and our in our power from the middle east from the from you know, Qatar and from, you know, the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz to the South Pacific to combat China, China's spread over there right. and, uh, you know, prevent them from building new islands and from, you know, becoming the new Japanese empire.
0: Right. Um, you know, and and I found that quote and it's, it's hard to, to argue against this particular line of logic, but Chinese Foreign, Chinese foreign Ministry drew a distinction between the PLA, the, the People's Liberation Army, arsenal of missiles and the planned U.S. deployment. It said Chinese missiles were located in its territory, especially short and medium-range missiles, which cannot reach the mainland of the United States. This is fundamentally different from the U.S., which is vigorously pushing forward deployment. In other words, we're pushing to put missile launchers in not our territory that can hit them
2: right so we're the we're kind of the aggressors here in that respect but if there is a radar system that goes into a sovereign country's territory doesn't that cause a bunch of legal problems
0: well, it's not a radar system; it's it's a missile system. Of course, there's it's radar a associ- associated to, but we're not we're not talking about like Patriot missiles, where it's looking to defend a particular point, right? These are these are offensive missiles, right? These are ground based missile launchers that have a range between, let's say, three hundred and you know a thousand miles, right? Um, and these devices can be set up in these. Uh, um like archipelagos in these islands off the coast of China and be able to hit mainland China but and but more importantly be able to hit uh, uh, naval assets in the sea uh, in the seas around the coast of, of China. And China isn't like that very much and their their logic makes sense, you know they're saying, hey, you guys, you know, we weren't a part of the IMF like we could build whatever we want. And we built it, and we kept it on our mainland to protect ourselves, right? As a deterrence for ourselves. You guys, on the other hand, just dropped out of that treaty and are now suddenly deciding to put a bunch of missile launchers on our doorstep. Fuck you guys. You know, I'm not trying to side with China here, but the logic is pretty strong.
2: Well, what do you think of this? So I, I got confused earlier, but. The reason why I was confused is because I was reading about um, the new start with you know the Obama deal with Russia, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's expiring in seven months. Right. What Trump wants to do is that he wants to include China into that deal, and this is a this is a nuclear deal. Right. Uh, it is an arms control deal, which would essentially. It would limit the amounts of, of nuclear arms, but China's stockpile is not even close to the size of Russia or the United States.
0: No, but they, they also don't have restrictions on building more either. So, like generally speaking, I'm, I'd have to read the contents of, of the deal that they're trying to iron out. And in most cases, I think a lot of the deals that they try to iron out are fucking stupid. But the general idea uh, to impose more. Uh, like nuclear arm, arms
2: restrictions sounds like a good fucking idea to me but it's just the incentive wouldn't really be there for china as much because their stockpile because they're going to put limits that obviously the chinese china is going to be way below right and they're not going to put limits that are going to you know debilitate our own nuclear arsenal to a point I mean point it's where it's possible that be, those limits will be would be relative to the re-
0: country you know so like our limits would be higher than China's limits because we already have more than you do, you know? It's possible that they draw up something like that, but there's no way that China would
2: agree with it. Trump seems to be very keen on getting them in this deal. He he, he wants them in this deal.
0: I mean, without reading it, like, without reading the contents, I kind of support this because right now there's a lot of escalation. And, you know, we've been talking about the... American plans, you know, to combat China. But, you know, this new report came out recently. This is the kind of last thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, But there's an internal Chinese report uh, that China's basically facing a Tiananmen-like global backlash over the coronavirus. Um, And they're actively planning contingency plans up to and including um, armed conflict with the United States. So it's not just us. You know they're they're thinking about it too you know this this whole pandemic has been pretty crazy and you know basically they're they're saying that the the rising wave of hostility of the coronavirus outbreak could you know push them to armed conflict with the united states and so it was originally drawn up by this uh, uh, organization called the Institutes of Contemporary International Relations.
2: That sounds like that sounds like some neocon shit right now. It is. Like, it's like hey, Chinese neocon hey, shit. So like, China, no, no, it's like on the U.S. side though, mm. because oh well, you know, the U.S. is uh, China is so embarrassed and they're facing so much hostility because they mm-hmm. did coronavirus that they mm-hmm. feel like they're backed. They're like a, a fox backed in a corner, and they're gonna they're gonna end up lashing out. So we gotta take them out now. That's what it sounds like to me on my side. Yeah, I'm sure China has their their own hawks as well, or their own like people who think of unreasonable solutions for what they need to deal with right now. Because I mean, frankly, the virus did come out of there. I think that it's gonna what they're really gonna suffer is the. Um, you know, they're they're the manufacturing powerhouse that's in China is going to transition to countries in southern Asia. I think that's going to be a long term consequence. Like Vietnam will benefit from this. Maybe Cambodia will benefit from this. You know, yeah, in the south in the south, like those are going to be the main benefactors because people are not going to want to have um, their you know manufacture iPhones and manufacture shit there. I mean, li- likely, but uh, again, I want to point
0: out that this is like an internal. Like document this is this is this is like their neocons talking about about this so again the institute is the china institutes of contemporary international relations i'm never going to say that again it's basically a think tank um it's affiliated with the ministry of state security which is china's top intelligence agency um it happened early last month they presented their findings to top leaders including their president xi jinping um basically said that that anti-chinese sentiment is at its highest since 1989 which was the Tiananmen square crackdown um and it caused it basically called for the need to be prepared for a worst case scenario for like an armed confrontation with the united states and um basically like the united states has been putting a lot of pressure on china i don't think this is unfounded conclusion uh you know we've been saying for even before the coronavirus that, you know, they've been uh, doing unfair trade practices, uh, unfair technology practices. We've been disputing with them over Hong Kong and Taiwan um, and, and territories in the South China Sea.
2: Corporate espionage.
0: Corporate espionage.
2: Yeah, I mean, predatory, there's like, Well, that's not even—predatory lending, but that's more like in African countries and European countries. Right. But there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, obviously, there are— um, What's going on in Hong Kong with them trying to extradite did you know that Animal crossing was banned there side note
0: yeah it was because people were using <laughs> uh, the message boards inside of it to like do anti Chinese like shit which I think is really funny that they uh, that they're, the they're, war they're on free animals. their their free speech is so repressed that people have to take to animal crossing to to get the message across
2: uh, China's war on cartoon animals <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, they already have one war against one cartoon animal. It's Winnie the yeah, Pooh. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh.
2: <laughs> so they have to continue uh, that war. That got to find
0: Peppa the Pig. They don't like Peppa the Pig either. I don't know why. I forget about that one.
2: I, they just think he's a disgusting animal.
0: <laughs> um. Anyway, and, and so like kind of continuing on that, like Trump has been talking about raising, uh, you know, uh, tariffs, new tariffs on China. His administration has been considering doing some other retaliatory measures against china because of the outbreak you mentioned one before you know defaulting on on chinese loans um you know there's there's a whole suite of shit so i i don't think that necessarily they're wrong about the anti-chinese sentiment they're definitely getting a lot of it where i think they're wrong is like their proposal to you know consider armed conflict with the united states i think that'd be fucking terrible
2: um, well here's the thing though there's there's so much market interest in China still, right you know where you have the NBA making deals in China and you have Dizzy making deals in China there's so right. much corporate interest in China because there's billions of people there that are potential consumers of your products. Right. Um, I think that interest will will um, that corporate interest would, would honestly prevent their prevent a hostile military action
0: yeah maybe i don't think there i don't really think there's
2: necessarily a lobby like like well you know the mic is always pushing for more weapon sales but right i don't think even they really want a a actual conflict with china just because it would be so harsh um,
0: maybe but but there there's another dimension like a deeper dimension that I think we're we're not we're not really discussing and that's uh, you know the the belt and road infrastructure development project that China's doing um you know yeah like there's a huge consumer base in China and there could be corporate interests that would you know dissuade Chinese military offensive or defensive frankly you know uh, against the United States but more importantly there China's getting anti China sentiment from outside of the United States as well, right? And their big infrastructure project, the Belt and Road um, project that we've discussed over several different podcasts, and just to catch you up in case you weren't, uh, you're just joining us for the first time, basically China wants to recreate the Silk Road, right? And what they're doing is they're creating huge infrastructure projects to link up through uh, land bridges, (laughs) Henry's favorite word, roads, um, across... Central Asia and through to Europe so that they can establish better supply chain, better, um, you know, uh, um, like global exporting, because they're a huge export economy. And right now how they export things is like if they want to export something to Europe, they have to like fucking swim all the way around, you know, under (laughs) India. Yeah, they swim over uh, all the way under like India and shit and like go up either around Africa or through the Straits. You know, so it, is, it takes a fucking long time, right? Um, it would be just much easier to set up like a rail system or like a a, a trucking road system straight through like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, you know, um, other Central Asian countries, and then just get right into Turkey and like fly right into uh, into Europe. That would be economically more viable to them, and they're investing billions, if not trillions, of dollars on this uh, on this initiative. And if they're getting hit from all over the place, you know, uh, including uh the united states but other countries as well it threatens this right and they're very very threatened right now in this report that washington is going to step up our financial support and and military support for their regional allies uh, which would make you know the their security situation but also their their project kind of volatile um and so there's there is historical precedent for this too um after the Tiananmen uh, square um aftermath uh, the U.S. and a lot of Western governments uh, imposed huge san- sanctions against China, uh, including uh, banning uh, re- uh, banning or restricting arms sales uh, to China and uh, banning technology transfers, right? So, you know, if we take this in, in summation, right, anti-Chinese sentiment because of coronavirus, you know, really threatens not only just you know, from the United States, but kind of from from a global perspective, and it's not just because they have consumers, but it's because they're investing heavily in infrastructure projects outside of the outside of their their country to bolster their export economy, right? And if that is at all, if the confidence in that is at all undermined, it really fucking throws a wrench in their system, which is back, which is backing them into a corner, and they are thinking about you know armed conflict with the United States because of it. Um, It's, it's pretty nuts, you know? And, and they've been doing all they can right now to, to, you know, propagandize that they're somehow the heroes of this. I mean, they've been trying to basically prop up their propaganda around the fact that they're donating a lot and that they're selling medical supplies, you know, to the United States, but also, you know, other countries and like sharing their doctors and their expertise on the on the virus and they're trying to like do a bit of PR there. I mean, they
2: went and they saved Kim Jong-un. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Apparently they did.
2: <laughs> he's al- he's alive by the way. He's alive because of them. Spo- spoiler alert. You don't have to listen to our last episode now. Yeah. Well, it's I all mean, bullshit. Don't listen to it. <laughs> we, we said that he wasn't dead. What? Like two minutes into it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I definitely knew he wasn't dead. There was no way that he was dead and we didn't know about it already. Um, but yeah, I mean this is this is like real shit that's going on right now in China um and you know between that between COVID-19 and between you know us pulling out our our um pulling out our missiles from Saudi Arabia and basically in a nutshell moving them to Asia Pacific uh it's
2: Diverting a... them somewhere and then putting more missiles there. We don't know if they're right. the same missile system. No, they're like definitely the not. serial but numbers. Like... But let, let's just, for the visualization, right. let's just pay, paint it that way where they yeah. actually shipped those forces <laughs> like in a board game or something. Like, yep. I will take my piece and move it to something Knight to E4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I watched the, the entire marathon of that the other day. Yeah. And it was honestly pretty great does, <laughs> does not does not get hit does, does not uh ever get tired no no definitely um yeah man that's fucking is kind of crazy
0: we'll it see is, what comes out of it
2: you know i get yeah we'll see what happens we'll see if a war breaks out <laughs> <laughs> hey a if little, a, war a war breaks out war. we'll yeah. let you guys know <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> be, you'll, you'll hear be it first here first. Hear about it.
2: <laughs> you'll hear it from bro history first if there's a war between U.S. and China. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money and not just your own. To follow trends, track financial situations, follow gains and losses, check out the Yahoo Finance podcast. Every day we'll give you a quick overview of the latest market and financial news that you need to know. You'll be able to hear about the biggest headlines in the business world in three minutes or less, right after markets close. It's perfect to listen to while you make another cup of coffee or work out a new budget. Check it out now. Listen to Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I mean, it's so, it's so, right now I'm in a position where I'm still like, I think we're all in this position. Nobody knows what's going on, even in their respective industries yep. and fields. Like, you could be a practicing, you know, a primary care doctor um, who does not know what the fuck's going yeah, to happen to your practice no. or to your industry, and you're in healthcare. Right. Um, the banks don't know what no the fuck's going They yeah. have no. So. I want to do a quick follow-up on some of the episodes that we've been doing regarding a lot of the loans and the stimulus packages that the U.S. has been giving out. Um, So there was this New York Times article that was released today, and it's titled, Small Business Counting on Loan Forgiveness Could Be Stuck With Debt. Hmm. And um, I'm sure you guys... Are, are uh, if you've been listening to the past couple episodes, we've been we've been talking a lot about these PPP loans, these yep. Paycheck Protection Loans that um, have been uh, part of the stimulus package and been given to banks to give to um, to give to businesses that are currently locked down to pay their staff. Um, but essentially, you know, they're supposed to be grants if those companies, those businesses use that money to pay their staff even though they're not at work. So you're like, you know, you're, you're, you're paying for no product productivity. So there's been a couple of issues that are outlined in this article. One of the, you know, the first issue that jumps out to me, which we discussed is that uh, people are making more money uh, on unemployment right now than they would in these service industry jobs. So they don't want to go back to work, first of all. Mm -hmm. So it's like, no, we don't want to go back. Like, what's the point? Like, I'd rather rather get money. Let me wait till the unemployment dries out, and then I'll go back to work. But now there's – so first of all, the banks don't even know what's going on because they were – the amount of applications that have been going into these banks to get these loans have been so astronomical that – uh, a lot of these smaller community banks that have been issuing out these loans don't have the infrastructure to actually deal with this so there's like no application process there's no there's no like really underwriting process for these loans now um, what's ambiguous is the requirements to not get I guess penalized from the federal government because right. not get dinged yeah. you're getting money. That is supposed to be a grant that's supposed to, go in to that's supposed to go to your employees, um, and at seventy percent, I think is supposed to go to the employees, and then you know thirty percent can go to other expenses. That might be impossible because you're supposed to pay those employees in a certain period of time. The date runs up in the next couple in the next week, so you have you have a finite period of time to pay these employees. And again, there's no really guideline and a business owners are not sure what they're doing, if it's illegal or not. <laughs> and apparently all these loans, all these businesses that are going to be getting these loans are going to be audited too. So they're like, what the fuck do we do? So what they're doing, a lot of what a lot of businesses are doing right now is that they're getting these loans and they're just putting them in their bank account and they're probably just going to give them back. They're not even going to use the loan, so they're just going to take the debt and they're going to pay it back because they don't know what to do and just not hire their staff back hmm. until until the lockdown is over. But then by that by by at that point, like there probably won't be enough demand for employment for those people to get their jobs back at their previous employer. Um, so it's just this this pp this Paycheck Protection Program is a complete shit show. It's a shit show, and I think anyone should have fucking saw how big of a shit show this was going to be, because of how fast they did it. Like, all right, oh, was locked down, money, locked money just give them trillions of trillions of dollars, <laughs> trillions of dollars. All right, all right, five hundred billion dollars in work. All right, give them another three hundred billion. It's just like, th- just tossing money and just throwing money at these problems. And I mean, first of all, a lot service based businesses typically have our, our paychecks away or our, our rent checks away from going out of business. Right. Like the margin, the profit margins in the restaurant or the retail industry, or a lot of these small businesses that people are kind of thinking of when they think of like, you know, getting bailed out because it's not their fault. Um, it's very, very, you, you and I both know, that most of these businesses fail anyway. And sometimes it's not of their own fault, it's just a very, very competitive market in the restaurant industry, in the service industry, in the hotel industry, in the hospitality. They're very competitive markets with low margins. So a lot of these people who are taking out these loans are gonna be stuck with the debt in the long run. And even if they pay out their employees over this time, um when there when doors do open and when there's less lockdown restrictions they're going to have from what it looks like no one no one knows for sure who knows maybe there's a miracle of people wanting to go to restaurants when this is all over um
0: honestly have you been outside recently it feels like there's a miracle for people wanting to go anywhere
2: right now there's people pure... uh, that is that's fair enough I'm sure some there's going to be some businesses that make ahead like they're gonna they're gonna make a lot of money. I think it's going to be a lot of businesses that appeal to younger demographics are going to be the ones that are going to really do well. Maybe that have a lower uh, price on the menu, you know, or not. You know, like a place that has a $18 glass of wine will probably not do as well you mean, as you a mean place like with like $5 bar like Lights? <laughs> it's not a dollar <laughs> menu, but like, I think the places yeah. that are going to do well are going to be like um, the divey kind of bars that you know people go to grab drinks or watch games and things like that. Especially if this happens before football season, I think those <laughs> those yeah. types of restaurants will will rebound. Um, I think the ones that will fail will be like the ones with like super high prefixed menus. Like I don't think I don't think that people are going to want to go to those or want to spend the money on those. But who knows? I mean, it, I mean, like look. Yeah, I guess you could look at. I guess you could look at the you know the industries that did well after the the you know the recession our last major recession and Mm -hmm. see how they bounce back but i mean this is a whole different animal because it's you know this is a pandemic virus not just the recession right i don't know it's crazy man my my, my two uh, cents
0: on this is like i know that you and i don't totally agree on on you know the money that we've used to to stimulate our economy and make sure that it doesn't um completely bust i think we both agree on on the the way that that it was carried out like it I, I would agree that you know we're like we understood we needed to put money to solve some of these problems but just like how they decided to do it was a fucking nightmare um and i think part of this problem again I'm not an economist but part of the problem for me is that you know these ppp loans were basically like trickle down economics you know, at a massive scale with a massive, you know, with a velocity that was just ridiculous, right? So they were just like, we will give you business a loan and you must pay your people the money, most of it, by I don't know what date. And also maybe you don't owe us, but maybe you do, you know? So like the incentives on paying your employees was unclear, You know, the, the parameters and the rules there was unclear and, but the idea was if we give these loans to these businesses, then they can pay their people and then, you know, the people ultimately don't lose their jobs and they can, you know, have financial security. Uh, They should have just skipped the middleman and said, if you're a person, here's some money. And if you're a business and you just need to keep your doors open, like pay your basic bills, here's money for that. Not like try to funnel the money to the people through a, you know, through a, the business. It just it that was that was in my opinion doomed to fail.
2: I mean, if they were gonna do anything, you might as well just put money in people's pockets. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. That, like that, straight up that, in people's pockets. Yeah, like just put it. If you were gonna put a stimulus bill, and, like not have like these. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm endorsing this. I'm just saying this would be right. better than the system that we put in place. Exactly, like yeah. you might as well just put a, a bigger stimulus check in someone's bank account, right? Based off what they're or tax just a more consistent
0: were. stimulus check, yeah, um, like, Rather
2: more, than mm-hmm. rather than like have this go through bank with like. A kind of a weird application process and you know there's so many different types right. of businesses that you don't know what businesses are actually closed down or right. we can't do work and right you know there's other businesses that have independent contractors that work for them right and don't have full-time staff but you know the independent contractors may as well be their staff because they could be hired and fired at any time like you right. know, they still report to that person like, it's like do you pay so them don't do you not count. pay them like what pay, like, yeah, yeah like, they're being so it's just such a shit show and to top it all off is that a lot of like large companies there's publicly traded companies have have applied for these loans as well Mm -hmm. and we went over this yeah i think two episodes ago we went over all the bullshit of like all these like companies that are that are either cheaters public companies cheaters have had who have been um had fraudulent activity who have lied to investors regarding their um uh, regarding their financials, uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. F- by financial health, have received uh, money for these loans, and you know when they got some of them, like a company like Shake Shack, which has a million locations that does pretty well, and you would think would have some savings, you know, a rainy day savings mm-hmm. for a crisis like this, um, they ended up being humiliated and had having to give the money back. A lot right. of businesses are going through that process, but. Um, it's, it's too easy to take advantage of because everyone's going to want to get a piece of that pie. Most larger banks are going to, um, prefer their larger customers as well. So, you know, a bank of America or a chase, they're going to, they're going to prioritize their business accounts that are
0: doing uh, well. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Doing. Yeah. They're doing, that are doing well. Um, so, you know, as far as like these mom and pop shops, like, you know, Jim's Subways or Jim Jim's Subways, uh, uh, Jim's Subs um, or Jim's Meatball Shop. Right. I'm making up a generic restaurant name. I, I'm having a tough job. Uh, they're they're not they're going to have to go through probably a different process than where they would normally get a loan. Um, and it's like a new it's going to be tough. Like, it's going to be like a whole new process. And the,
0: and the employees of Jim's meatball shop are like, you know, at the very bottom of this terrible shitty stick, you know, because, you know, what do they do? Do they, are, will, will Jim pay them? Won't Jim pay them? It really just depends on how Jim does at his bank. And if Jim gets the money from his bank, does Jim know that he doesn't have to pay that money back later? Does can Jim effectively pay out all of his employees in time to meet the minimum requirements? And is that enough for and the it, lockdown? Exactly. <laughs> like it that's isn't like how yeah. we
2: don't even know when Jim subway can open again. So exactly. what does it matter if he pays them for a month or two? Right. Like what does it fucking matter if they're not going to get a paycheck down down the road? Mm-hmm. Like it makes no fucking sense. Like this, this whole fucking bill, this whole fucking plan, it was retarded. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I understand the need to act like, you know, politicians are going to want to act when there's a crisis and you're going to want to be like, okay, we got to, you know, we got to put some type of funnel money into pockets and all this stuff, but they did it in such a dumb way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. To make it more complicated where people are scared, scared to even use the money. Like, it's just a joke. Yeah. I
0: I mean, honestly, like, like you said, the easiest way would have just been putting money in people's pockets, which is what I was in favor of the entire time. And it looks like actually they're trying to draw up another uh, multi-billion, perhaps trillion-dollar bill for a second wave of stimulus, and uh, apparently the the Republicans are, are obviously trying to block this, but uh, they won't sign off on anything because Trump wants to include a payroll tax cut for this, which when you just 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 like think about that for a minute, like how the fuck would a payroll tax cut help people when people are out of work like (laughs) you know like if you're not getting a paycheck how are you supposed to how is that supposed to benefit you you know so just really fucking stupid
2: it's It's be, it's just not, it's, it's government, man. (laughs) It's government. (laughs) Like, like, what do you think they're going to think of? Like, they're not going to think of like something well thought of. It's like, it's politicians need to act and look good. So they make very, very tough choices very quickly without much research. And that's how you get these, these uh, inefficient spending bills. It's, it's basically like, um, this is my favorite analogy. I heard it from Peter Schiff. It's like a blood tran taking a blood transfusion from your left arm and putting it into your right arm, and then spilling blood as you as <laughs> you you know move the the syringe. Like it's just uh I don't know. I'm kind of just speechless and very fr- and very frustrated about what's going on. Uh,
0: and a listener here um, or a viewer, Bora says,
2: "Should I invest in war stocks?" <laughs> Probably. (laughs) I mean, war stocks always go up. I mean, yeah. yeah, Why not invest in Boeing, Raytheon,
0: Lockheed. Hey, look,
2: Hey, Boeing is perfect. Boeing is getting, is getting bailed out. Right. And guess what? Boeing's planes fall out of the sky. So (laughs) that's, I mean, if you call that fucking bulletproof, like, you know, the, the, Lockheed Martin's F-35 costs $1.4 trillion, that weapons program $1.4 trillion, (laughs) $1.4 trillion program, and there's been many issues with those planes, like many, many issues with those planes. Nevertheless, I bet if we looked at their
0: stock right now, it's probably fine.
2: What is it? Let's find out. I can tell you right now. And you know what? Here's another thing. I was watching. I was watching C, uh, CNBC, and bald head Kevin O'Leary comes on from Shark Tank, Mister Wonderful.
0: Uh huh. Oops. Looks like we had some technical difficulties. Apparently, my mic unplugged, and uh, well, you're not gonna hear the last ten minutes of this episode. But if you're interested and you want to hear us rant about Kevin O'Leary and our opinions about buying war stocks, you should check us out on YouTube. And watch the live stream there. As always, like, share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you're on Apple. See you guys next week.